All right. Uh, welcome to another episode of ICU Doc Talk. Uh, I hope everybody had happy holidays. I am recording this in 2024, New Year. Um, I'm going to talk about uh, all the books I read in 2023. I'm, uh, briefly, it's 76 books. That's what this whole episode's about. If you're not interested in books, then I, I don't know if you want to listen to this. But I, I, I have a very eclectic reading taste. I probably, I probably have read something this last year that would probably interest you. So you might want to hear that. I'm going to give, I'm going to go over the books. I'm going to give small little snippets of what they are and why I might recommend it for you. So let's just, let's dive into it. And it's a, so it's a bunch of fiction and nonfiction all mixed together. And here's what I'll do. I'll, I'll talk about all the nonfiction books up front. Um, and then after that I'll do fiction. And so if you don't really care about fiction, you can just hop off the you can stop listening. Uh, and anyway, yeah. All right, let's do it. All right. Uh, these books are in no particular order. This isn't like a ranking. Okay. Uh, they're in the order, the chronological order in which I read them in 2023. Okay. The first book I'm talking about is The Profit Paradox, How Thriving Firms Threaten the Future of Work by Jan Eekhout, E-E-C-K-H-O-U-T. This book, I've read lots of books like this. Um, I read lots of books about economics. And this one was really good. Like I would highly recommend this one. So it's basically about the profit paradox is here's the, here's the paradox. So the more a company starts making profit, um, they become, they actually become less efficient and they actually produce less units, less volume of the thing that they produce because they, as they, as they start to have more of a market share and they start to have more of a monopolized market share, they, they, they skeletonize their working staff right? They don't need to employ as many people. They don't need to create as, as much product and uh, to, uh, to be able to have the same, uh, to boost their profits. They don't need to, they don't need to, sorry, they don't need to have as much um, infrastructure and as much, as much employment as they get more market share is basically what I'm trying to say. And so as they gain more profits, as they gain, as they gain more shareholder value, they actually are less productive to society and the economy. That is the profit paradox. And this book explains it really, really well. Uh, I, definitely would recommend this like this is probably one of my top reads of uh, of the year that I would recommend in economics okay next nonfiction book is the storm before the calm by george friedman this was an interesting book i overall thought it was kind of a dumb book but uh it, it's about this guy i forget his background but this guy he has this theory that the u.s has cycles like every 50 years it has a cultural cycle and every 80 years it has a economic cycle of ups and downs, and then he he goes back through history showing these cycles, and that he thinks we're at the the cusp of a new cycle, and he specifically thinks it's going to be in 2028, um, and he thinks the the president who's elected in 2024 will be a doesn't matter who it is will be a total failure because that president it will be using the tools of the prior era that will not be functional in 2028, and so he has all these predictions. He's not like a conspiracy theorist or anything, but he's so confident in his ability like this will happen it, like he thinks it's it's straight up the way things are which is a little ridiculous uh that he has so much confidence in his ability to like predict that um so it's it was interesting to read his insights he clearly cherry picks history to come up with his narrative he's like oh this happened in this period this happened in this you know world war ii and the new deal era blah 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 but he doesn't talk about like the fundamental changes in the 1970s and 80s which focused on financial you know fa- financialization and and decrease of uh, government regulation of, of markets, which is a huge shift. That's an enormous shift. He doesn't talk about 9-11. He doesn't talk about 2008 financial crisis, which is an enormous shift. Anyway, so he cherry picks and he comes up with this narrative. Interesting to read. Here's the thing I'm afraid of. In 2028, there probably will be some like enormous shift and that president probably will be seen as a failure and he'll be right. He'll appear right, <laughs> but I don't think he's right. Um, anyway, that's called The Storm Before the Calm. Interesting read. I don't, I don't necessarily recommend it, but uh, there, there you have it. All right, the next book is The Coming of the Third Reich by Richard J. Evans, which is a it was a long book, but it was an amazing book. <clears throat> this bit, this book and this book is a part of a series, I think it's a three-book series. I only read this, I think this is the this is the first one. And Richard Evans talks about how the Nazi party came into power, how it took over the Weimar Republic. And then it ends as it came into power, you know, what it did once it was in power, which you know, I'm pretty familiar with what happened then. Um so this book is absolutely a must-read because it explains to you how a a political party like the Nazi party um, took over a republic um, and the exact same thing the s- same strategies that are employed here can be employed today they are being employed today by all over the world right now I mean this is what uh, this is what right-wing fascism is um, what the Nazi party did in and it is right-wing fascism people like to say oh 
but they were called the Socialist Party. Yeah, well, a Socialist Party doesn't take a bunch of socialists and communists to dock out and murder them as soon as they come into power. It's not what socialists do. They were not socialists. It's a ridiculous argument to make. Anyway, whatever. Sorry, I don't want to get too political about it, but this was a very, very good book. Extremely important to read. I highly recommend you read it. Um, next book is called Pirate Enlightenment by David Graeber. If you know anything about me, you, you know I love David Graeber. He was a, a anthropologist and also a self-proclaimed anarchist. Uh, very brilliant guy. He died untimely a few years ago. Pirate Enlightenment is all about talking about the anarchism. He, I actually didn't like this book very much because it was it was it was written post, post posthumously, uh, and it was just kind of a cobbled together bunch of essays about the anarchism of pirate <laughs> like governance. <laughs> Uh, it was interesting, but it just didn't have a lot of uh, like cohesion and coherence. Um, uh, I've read two other David Graeber books that I'll... Uh, well, I might, I might as well just mention right now. So one of the best just books ever. So the other David Graeber book I read was The Dawn of Everything, which is an absolute must-read book. You have to read it. You have to read it. The Dawn of Everything. It will, it will help you to reimagine what civilization is. So the main, the main argument of The Dawn of Everything is that there's this... In modernity, we believe that like our civilization as it is right now is some sort of culmination, some sort of natural evolution into modernity. Like, ah, here we are. We've made it. This is what all of our ancestors have been trying to get to. And he basically refutes that. He's been, he's, he says, you know, having centralized authority, uh, and obviously this guy's an anarchist, so it's not surprising he wrote a book like this. He goes through archaeological records that like, no, ancient people were actually very intelligent and they actually tried to prevent what the current order that we live in right now, which is authoritarian central authority. You know what I mean? Like he gives an example of hunters, <clears throat> like the society of hunters. I forget who uh, precisely off the top of my head, but uh, like a hunter gatherer society and a bunch of people, the hunters would come back with their kills and they would be mocked and ridiculed and be the last to eat. And the whole point was ancient people realized the threat of a charismatic leader uh, and uh, seeding too much authority to to too much centralized people. Um, it's an absolutely amazing book. He he talks about how we don't really that that the state has harnessed three levers of control, which are basically control over violence, control over information, and then uh, um, charisma. That is how the state keeps control, and that we kind of don't have the freedom that ancient people have, which is the freedom to move about the freedom to disobey and the freedom to change our social arrangements. We don't have those freedoms at all, like at all. Very, very good book. And then the other book I'll mention by David Graeber that I read this year, uh, it was called, um, oh, I forget. Hang on. Okay. It's called the utopia of rules on technology, stupidity, and the secret joys of bureaucracy by David Graeber. Uh, his, his name is spelled G R A E B E R. This book was, it was phenomenal. It was amazing. It was about, it was this was a this was a bunch of essays, but they really cohered very well. And this book was about how violence is extremely stupid, right? So violence is like a very idiotic act. You don't need to be smart. You don't need to understand the other person. You just need to act. It's violence. And he actually talks about how bureaucracy is the state uh, replacement of violence. So bureaucracy is also extremely stupid, right? And bureaucracy is in the government and it's in corp- corporations as well, which he talks about, which is a thing people forget all the time when they make arguments against the government, like, oh, it's a bloated bureaucracy. Yeah, well, so is the corporate state. Uh, but anyway, he talks about it's it's little, it's like the stand-in for violence. So instead of having a violent society, we have a bureaucratic society, and we are surrounded by bureaucracies literally everywhere we go. Um, and he talks, he delves into a bunch of other interesting t- topics. One of the most amazing concepts I've learned this year is in this book, he talks about something called interpretive labor, where an underclass or someone who's abused, let's say, let's say a wife is abused domestic by her husband, like very, like physically abused. She needs to interpret his behavior to survive him, right? She needs to interpret his mood and the things he says all the time, constantly to survive her husband, or, or maybe he might, you know, kill her. And so she, she, uh, exercises a bunch of interpretive labor. So she understands all of his behavior. How much interpretive labor is a husband exercising over his wife? None, because he uses violence. So he doesn't understand her emotional state. He doesn't understand anything. And he's an idiot. He's an idiot for many reasons, but he's extremely stupid because he doesn't have any interpretive labor. And so you, you take this to people that have, you know, are oppressed for whatever reason, and they have more interpretive labor of what's going on in society because they, 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 they have a, deeper understanding of the dynamics between peoples because of their interpretive labor that they uh, exercise. Incredible concept. Seriously, you can apply this concept all over the place. Very amazing book. I just, I love David Graeber. 
All right, next book. Uh, again, I'm just talking about nonfiction. Let's see. It's The French Revolution by Ian Davidson, which uh, it was really good. <clears throat> I mean, it was good. I didn't know a lot about the French Revolution. This was the first book I've read about the French Re- Revolution. And I, you know, wanted to know more about it. And I think this was an even take, I think, uh, based on other reviews that I've read. But uh, this was, a, it was a good, I thought, found it was a good starting place to learn about the French Revolution, which was basically, what was the French Revolution? Well, it wasn't really, you know, it's, it's, it's gone, I think it's become uh, mythologized, that's not a word, but you get what I'm saying, into being about, oh, it's, it's about laborers, blah, 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 but not, not really. It was basically the nobles, this was, a, it was a revolution of nobles. And a lot of the left-right political divisions that we have modernly come from this time um, in France. But basically, it was a revolution against monarchical rule. And it was ex- the fallout was brutal. It was awful. So many people were murdered. Uh, like, after the revolution, there was revolution after revolution after revolution. There was instability in France for like 100 years after the French Revolution. And there was one constitution written after another. Like, I don't, again, I'm, I'm not very well informed about French Revolution, but from what I understand from this book specifically, there was not, not a lot of good, okay? I, I guess rejection of monarchical rule, but uh, what happened afterward was also tyranny. So anyway, uh, I thought it was pretty good if you want to learn about the French Revolution. Next read is call, uh, called The Road to Unfreedom by Timothy Snyder. <clears throat> this was a good book. I read two two of his books last year. So this book is about basically about Russia, uh, modern Russia and uh, it's right, it's fascist attempts to kind of, you know, to, to create its own EU, you know, Russia, he, he asserts that Putin is basically trying to create a Russian Eurasia that Russian controls. And that is absolutely not a shocker at all that he, that, that Putin invaded Kiev and is trying to take over Ukraine. Um, the dynamic between Russia, the Russian Federation, oh, oh, well, the Mosk the Muscovites and the R- Russian history trying to take over Kiev has been, it's been, this has been going on for hundreds of years. So it's like not a surprise that any of this is happening. And Timothy Snyder goes into the kind of the rule book of modern day fascism. Very good book. Uh, I read a lot of left leftist critiques of the road and freedom, and it's this book was like like lambasted by a bunch of leftists on leftist blogs and news sites like the Jacobin and some other ones that it's right wing propaganda, which I think I find total nonsense because because uh, they're like there's this like Russian apologetic communist nonsense going on on the extreme left. Where they're, it's this contort, in my opinion, is this contortionist views that they're trying to defend what Putin is doing. It, it's weird. It's weird. There's a weird thing going on with, uh, there's right wing and left wing people on extreme ends agree with what Putin is doing because right people love his uh, authoritarian fascism and are fooled by the propaganda, and left people, left wing people have some sort of sympathy for Soviet Russia for some reason. Anyway, it's nonsense either way. All right, and then the the next book I read by uh, Timothy Snyder was Bloodlands: Europe Between Hitler and Stalin. This book was this is a history book. It was very very good. This this book is about Poland and the Baltic states and the basically the the murdering and the genocide that happened of uh, the Jews and many and and even non Jewish people by both German German by the Nazi Party and by Stalin. Uh, that both both of these regimes worked in concert with one another they were at one time allied with one another and then they betrayed each other with the by when when the nazi party invaded poland and this book is about that section of the world during this time and how uh they both part both these governments worked in tandem they worked it was a dynamic between the two it wasn't just the nazi party uh committing genocide it was also stalin and his regime very good book very very good book i highly recommend it um, all right, what's my next nonfiction read here? Let me see. I'm just looking over my list. <clears throat> oh, uh, yeah, An Immense World by Ed Yong. This book was so good. This book was about animals um, and, and their sensorium, right? Their, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, umwelt, I think. Umwelt? I might be getting around. I think the word's umwelt, where every creature has their own umwelt, meaning their way of interpreting the world with their particular sense organs. And he goes into, the author, Ed Yong, goes in, his last name is Y-O-N-G, Yong, goes into Every, all the different types of animals and all their different way of sensing the world. And it was beautiful. My wife recommended this one to me and I, it, it, absolutely incredible. If you want just like a, a fiction read that or nonfiction read that will just help you appreciate the beauty and wonder of the world and have you have, help you to have awe about the world, read an immense world by Eddie Young. 
Um, next nonfiction is Poverty by America by Matthew Desmond. He wrote, um, uh, you know, his famous book was, what's it called? Uh, ah, what's it called? Damn, I'm forgetting. It's, it was, it's a book about poverty in Milwaukee. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. I, I forget the name of it. Anyway, this is an updated version about poverty in America and how poverty indeed could be abolished by state policy. It definitely could be. And how wealth and poverty exist in tandem. Uh, very, very good. Brief read. Uh, I recommend it. Uh, let's see. Next book I read was called The Alignment Problem by Brian Christensen. This is Machine Learning and Human Values. Um, I, honestly, I don't remember a whole lot from this book. I mean, I do... I, it's funny. I can't, I don't know if I remember enough to speak intelligently about the book, but I mean, he talks about basically the, the whole premise of this book is that, uh, it's hard to create AI that doesn't already have our machine bias. It doesn't have our bias. I mean, it's like impossible because AI just all of our biases and the problems of humanity just get, just get programmed right into AI program. It, it was a good, I definitely liked the book. Maybe I wasn't paying attention enough because I, I really can't think of a lot more intelligent things to say about it. Um, next book is They Can't Kill Us Until They Kill Us by Hanf uh, Adurak. I, I can't, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't pronounce his last name because it's unfamiliar to me. A-B-D-U-R-R-A-Q-I-B. This book was got really big, um, and particularly one uh, TikTok reviewer who I like, called, his name is Schizophrenic Reads. He has schizophrenia. Um, uh, who I'm friendly with on TikTok, a nice guy. Uh, he, he raved about this book over and over and over again. So I was like, oh, so I finally read it. Um, and it was hard for me to connect with it, honestly. Honestly, And the, the reason is this book is about... So this is a book about being a person of color in the United States, which I love books about that to begin with. But um, the author just kind of tells his experience through different bands and different music through like the 2000s. And honestly, I didn't know... And it, you really... I couldn't connect with it because I didn't know any of the music. I didn't know any of these bands. And so it was, I had a hard time really connecting. And also, I'm a white person, and it's very difficult for me to um, connect... I mean, I want to hear a story, but I, for some reason, it was just a hard book for me to be engaged with because I just couldn't connect with the author like at all because I have a completely different lived-in experience than this guy. doesn't mean that you shouldn't read it. I think you should, but it was just, I don't know. It, I had a hard time engaging with the, with the text. Uh, what is my next? Not the, oh, okay. One of the, you got to read The Shadow Docket. You have to read The Shadow Docket. It's by uh, Stephen uh, Vledek, V-L-A-D-E-C-K. This book is about how the Supreme Court functions. This book was published this year. The main thing takeaway is you will learn about the merits docket and the shadow docket. The merits docket is where when you when the news breaks and you hear, oh, the Supreme Court decided this, they are handing down a decision from the merits docket. Basically, and the shadows doc so like they've taken up a case, which they now can decide if they want to take a case or not. They can reject a case, which is these are new, newer phenomenons. The Supreme Court has become a de facto uh, legislative branch basically because they can decide what they want to hear they can even twist the case around and just pick and part pick and choose what they want to hear and then hand down the decisions from it it is the the supreme court clearly has partisan bias um right now it's more right-wing it also has left-wing political bias in its decisions in the past as well clearly um so what you have and then the shadows docket is where they basically they'll reject decision they'll, they won't even uh hand down decisions they won't offer opinions uh, meaning like they won't have dissenting opinions or anything like that. So you, they won't reason through it. They'll just either reject or they'll make emergency decisions on stuff very, very quickly that has profound consequences. Um, yeah, uh, I was going to say something else. But I forgot. Very, very good book. Highly recommend. Uh, the next book I read was The Conservative Heart by Arthur Brooks. I, uh, I, I read across the political, political spectrum. Obviously, I'm like more liberal, you know, progressive leaning um, and I've been conservative in my past, but so I, I read, I, I make an effort to read across the polit political perspective and I read a lot of, uh, conservative political, political people as well. And I'm, I gotta say, I'm constantly disappointed by conservative writers constantly because they, <laughs> they don't have a lot of basis for their arguments. They honestly don't. And this book was freaking ridiculous. The conservative heart, this guy, he seems like a nice guy. Honestly, the, the guy seems like, I, I'd like, you know, I'd love to have dinner with him. Seems like a very nice guy. But the book was was absolutely ridiculous. His whole his whole argument is, oh, conservatism has been so good for America because of oh, we're so fiscally responsible. We've done so many wonderful things. And he's what he doesn't understand he he doesn't understand the political reality of the United States that the policies of 
of the Republican and Democratic Party have been nearly identical up until recently. And whatever prosperity you want to attribute that's happened in the country, you can you must attribute to both parties because they behave in the same way. They both support Wall Street. They're both uh, war. They're both support the war industrial complex and American hegemony. It's literally both parties do the same thing. The policies are very, very, very similar. Um, maybe up, not up until recently. And he's all like, oh, conservatives, we need to be more compassionate. That's this whole thing. He's like finger, finger wagging at conservatives. Like, hey, you got to stop blaming the poor, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. It's complete and utter nonsense. Not only are not, specifically Republican politicians are not bastions of fiscal responsibility. They simply are not. The, the hard facts are, Red states consume more state resources, have more crime on our mean, like by per capita than blue states. I'm not saying Democrat politicians are doing anything better than uh, Republican politicians, but Republican politicians and legislators are certainly not doing anything better. It's just anyway, it's just ridiculous. A book. Don't don't waste your time. Okay, uh, next book is called What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat by Audrey Gordon. This book I thought was phenomenal. Um, she is a fat person. She does, she wants to be called fat a lot. There's a lot of people, uh, that are obese that prefer to be called fat, but that, and, and this book is her experience being a fat person and the bias, the anti-fat bias. It's about anti-fat bias. Uh, you know, this is coming from someone from the fat positive community. This book is very, very good. Uh, everybody should read it because you need to understand, particularly if you're not a fat person, if you're not obese, you need to understand what it's like. Um, and you look at that perspective. I, I think she, I, I, man, I'm forgetting. I had a little bit of a problem. The, what she doesn't go into is what part of the discussion needs to be when you talk about fat, in my opinion, when you talk about fat positivity, part of the discussion needs to be obesity is a risk factor for disease. And the fat positivity community oftentimes, in my opinion, does not recognize this. It is a risk factor for disease. It's not it, and I know I create controversy because I talk about how I don't think obesity should be considered a disease, blah, blah, blah. I, I need to just stop talking about that because it's too controversial and it, uh, and it's often misconstrued. But anyway, she does, she, she, it's a little disingenuous to, ha- to have a discussion about fat positivity, which I think you should have fat. I think you, there should be fat positivity. She, people should have positivity about their bodies, no matter what they look like. Um, but if you don't also discuss that obesity is clearly a risk factor for disease and early death, you're being disingenuous. Um, so I kind of found that just a tad in this book, but overall I, I, I did really enjoy the book. All right. Next, uh, book nonfiction read is the long game, China's grand strategy to displace American order by rush Doshi D O S H I. Um, this is, I don't know. I think this was published last year, 2023, 2022. I, I'd been waiting a long time for it to come out. Um, I really enjoyed it. It, the author uses, internal uh communications with the chinese communist party the ccp about china's goals of global domination like it's uh, it's incredibly obvious what china is trying to do and the author goes into all the different strategies in the history of it and um, basically it's long game i really i enjoyed it i thought it was very well like uh researched and used used logic based on the party's own um like internal memos um, so it was really good. If you're interested in like geopolitics in China, I, uh, I recommend it. Uh, next book was F- uh, Flash Boys by Michael Lewis. Michael Lewis is obviously a huge, famous author. Um, and I think this is actually the first book I read by him, which is weird. Um, he's written, you know, he wrote like The Blind Side and The Long Short, or The Big Short, and a bunch of other books. He's a phenomenal writer and like, I don't know, journalist. I guess he's a journalist. I don't really know. Um, he wrote Moneyball. This book was about flash trading, which you should read this book. You should know what flash trading is if you if you don't already. And I'm not like huge into finance. I don't understand all you know of finance and Wall Street, and that's why I try. To, I like to read books about it. But this book was is will incense you because it's all about people having the appropriate hardware right next to. Uh, um, it, here's here's what flash trading is like in a nutshell. So someone goes to like trade like on a stock exchange and flash trading is someone has a server that is gets the information quicker because because the proximity proximity where the server is and this is and oftentimes it's it's uh they get access to dark pools which is where investments happen uh, where uh that are not exposed to public knowledge anyway they get the information about the trade like oh see someone makes a big trade 
and then they and then they buy it up real quick and then sell it back. So they they it's these really really tiny trades or, or uh, lightning f- flash trades that rob people of the original trade that they were going to do, and then the flash traders make money off it. It's freaking ridiculous. <laughs> and this book um, will explain to, explain it to you much better than I did. Uh, just another just a huge example of an enormous rent seeking operation hopping in Wall Street. One of many, I'm sure. Uh, so I, you should definitely check that book out. Uh, another book, next book is Myth America, Historians Take on the Biggest Legends and Lies About Our Past. This is, this book was about a bunch, it was a, a essays from a lot of different historians. This basically, uh, breaks down a lot of, there's so much historical revisionist going on right now, right? So much. Oh my gosh. You see it so much. Like someone be like, oh, the NRA was created to fight the democratic, the Democrats, uh, slavery, Democratic slavery from the Democrats. You see stuff like that all the time. Stuff, things that may be true. You're like, is that true? I wonder. And you look into it, and it's a completely revisionist history. So this book goes into a lot of that. It really attacks a lot of the, frankly, conservative revisionist history that is widespread. I'm not saying liberal revisionist history isn't going on, but I'm pretty sure it's happening more on the right. Um, and this book attacks a lot of that. It's very good. I You should definitely read it. Uh, okay, let's see. The next book, uh, what was it? Factfulness by uh, Hans Rosling. I, I've, I have mixed feelings about this book. Um, it was written, I don't know, five, six years ago. I think this guy's passed away since. Um, or maybe I'm wrong about that. I, I, I forget. Very, It's a nice guy. This book is about how... He, he talks about how things aren't as bad in the world as they seem. Um, which, in a sense, is true, right? I, I totally think that's true. Like, many things... Things trend pretty well in, in terms of, like, you know global civilization, right? hundred years ago, 200 years ago, things are better in many, 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 many ways. Um, but many things also don't change and you just get a recycling of the same problems over and over again. But he talks about how he, he presents facts like global trends. And he's like, look, things actually are pretty good, like poverty and child immunization and things like that. Um, and that's great. And he basically commits a whole book to that about that. And he also goes on to speak at, um, Davos, right, where a bunch of all the world's rich people get together and, and pat themselves on the back about how awesome they are. That's where he speaks. So that's a big red flag, right? If you get in the endorsement of the billionaires of the world and saying, hey, you're doing a great job, something's wrong. Like you're doing something wrong. Um, so what this book does is it foc- it it uh, um, it just focuses on a bunch of a couple of trends and how they're better. And he says the world is better. The world is actually doing a lot. Uh, very good. And, and so he ignores all of the problems going on in the world. That's based, That's the impact of this book, which that's why I didn't really like it. Um, but I don't think the author initially does anything wrong, but I, I just think the book um, kind of misses the mark. Uh, next book is Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. This is a, this, this, uh, this is a well-known book. I don't know. It was written in like 2000s. Amazing, right? So I'll just give you an example. I think he gives the author gives uh, in the front of the book. So he talks about, he, he, I think he investigated, it was like hockey players in Canada. And he, like uh, like team, sorry, I'm like uh, kind of rambling, kind of trying to remember the stuff at the top of my head without looking at my re- the reviews. I write reviews for every single one of my books to help me remember them. Um, but anyway, so there's like a hockey team and they're like, uh, you know, they're like teenage hockey teams and they're like very, very good competitive players. And someone noticed, maybe it was him, the author, I forget. But someone notices that everybody was born before like the month in like January and February, March. All the best players were born then. And he's like, and they were like, why? Why is this? Well, it's because their age cutoffs are the beginning of the calendar year. And so those that are old, technically older, they, they have more, you know, think about how just a few months, seven, eight months can make a difference in a teenage person, right? Uh, with muscle mass and things like that. And so by happenstance, those people get a little, those teenagers get a little bit of a head start and then they get the care, the fostering of their ability, and then they become star players. And so it's not a coincidence. It's not astrology, astro- cosmology, astrology, that they are born in the beginning of the year. It's because of the, the structure of the cutoffs. That's what the book is all about, outliers. Why do outliers exist? It's mostly happenstance. It's mostly happenstance, right? Would LeBron James, would anybody know who LeBron James is right now if he lived 100 years ago? Of course not. He has the skills today that are rewarded by our culture today. Jeff Bezos, did he, so is he he a shrewd businessman? Of course he is. Um, He just happened to come along with the right idea at the right time. Like, obviously. And he's also a good business person, obviously. Obviously, that's how it works most of the time. 
Um, so this, so the, why I like this book is it breaks down the myth of meritocracy, right? Because I do not believe American culture is a meritocracy. It is clearly not a meritocracy in my opinion. Anyway, so I really like that book. Um, and he's written a bunch of other books that I do want to get to sometime. Uh, next book book is Why Liberalism Failed by Patrick Deneen, D-E-N-E-E-N. I think I've talked about this book on this podcast. Uh, so I don't know, you go back and listen to a more detailed, this was a, it was a conflicting book. I actually, I really enjoyed the book and it made me think a lot. Um, and he talks about liberalism as defined as classical liberalism. Um, one second. So yeah, so he, he talks about how liberalism is defined as departure from monarchy and feudalism and into the age of, of like free market liberalism and the right to property and like equality before the law and civil liberties and individual. That's, that's what he's describing as liberalism, not, not liberals, not progressivism necessarily. So this book has a lot of good in it and it was weird. And it also had a lot of nonsensical stuff. It's also, it's, it was just basically like this manifesto from a cranky academic. Um, that's, that's mostly what this book is about. And he kind of, I'm so conflicted about this book. He, he basically offers a nonsensical, like polemic against modern liberal arts, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> saying how they betray the founding fathers intent of virtue based search for knowledge, which is t- such, such nonsense when people talk about stuff like that. My main book with a problem is the author places everything bad about Western culture on the umbrella of quote liberalism. And, and then he has the audacity and smugness to predict that it's all going to crumble down. Like he thinks, he thinks liberalism, as we know it, you know, anti-monarchical rule is, uh, it will crumble and is gone and will be gone in a few years. So he's, he's quite smug. And, but I, what I liked about this book is he talks about how it is our abandonment of our own communities that is causing the uh, an anti-culture. Like, we don't really have culture in our Western American culture. And I really agree with him. Like, what is our culture? What is it? Ask yourself right now, what is our American culture? Because it's kind of just consumerism. <laughs> That's all I can really think about. We just consume stuff and we work. It's kind of our culture. It's kind of sad. Um, and it homage and, and liberalism, quote liberalism, kind of makes us all into that kind of these consumering worker automatons, which is kind of depressing if you think about it. Anyway, it was an interesting book. Check it out. If you, if you uh, like what I was, what I was talking about. Uh, next book is the wheel to change by bell hooks, men, masculinity, and love. This is uh, such a beautiful and amazing book. This book is all about, uh, patriarchy and well, no, this book is about feminism for men, basically. I mean, men and women, I think should read this book, but it is a, it is a compassionate take on, on masculinity and how feminism she she touches a little bit on militant feminism and how feminism doesn't need to attack men men basically this this book is about how men are are also victims of patriarchy they're not i wouldn't say they're not victims of patriarchy as much as women are right women are much more victims of of uh toxic patriarchy patriarchy in general misogyny but men are also victims you know men get hollowed out men don't have the skills they don't have the emotional um uh what's the word um the emotional resiliency and and we're only taught to value a, f- a couple emotions i've talked about this book in the podcast it's it's amazing if you're a man oh my gosh you should read this book you should absolutely read that book it's it's so good uh next book is money the true story of made up of a made up thing by jacob goldstein a fantastic book um about the history of money and what it is today he goes into cryptocurrency you know, basically money is just this imagined thing with, that we all agree on um, from moment to moment, you know, from decade to decade. He he, he talks about uh, the origin of money and barter, bartering and the gold standard and up into today. Monetary and fiscal policy is mentioned in the book. It's very easy to understand. I highly recommend it. Not very long either. Very, very good book. Highly, highly recommend it. Um, next book I'll talk about is Good Inside by Dr. Becky Kennedy. This is the I think I've read a couple of child psychology books, probably like five. This is the best one easily. And as a parent, I absolutely loved it. This book is about how, you know, let's just say an example. Let's say you're like yelling at your child or you've done something that you're ashamed of with your child. Like you didn't behave in the right way. You didn't have enough patience. But Dr. Becky Kennedy, she argues you are, you're still good inside and your child is still good inside when they have those moments. You're not a bad parent. You're a good parent. Uh, having a bad moment. Um, obviously this is not applying to like domestic abuse and stuff like that and actual, you know, serious problems. This, this book will offer you so much insight. It's such a beautiful book. It's such a compassionate view of parenting. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. If you're a parent, please read it. Good Inside by Dr. Benedy, Dr. Becky Kennedy. I think she has a podcast I haven't listened to, but I mentioned this book to a colleague who listens to her podcast and really likes it as well. 
All right, next book is, uh, I don't think I mentioned it yet. I'm forgetting. <clears throat> it's called The Rape of Nanking by Iris Chang. You probably you may have heard of it. It's written in the 90s. This is about the Japanese Empire and how they, when they were at war with China, um, in the, I think it took place in like 1932 or something, they invaded Nanking, the then capital at the time, uh, with no uh, with no resistance, took over the city, and they raped and killed. They raped like something like eighty thousand women and and murdered like a hundred thousand citizens. It was genocide over a few weeks. It's unbelievable what what it did. It showed the ruthless and the brutality of the Japanese Empire, which was absolute, and the unbelievable genocide and atrocity that happened there. Um, it's also a tale of a lot of amazing people. Like a there was an American surgeon who decided to stay there who helped a lot of Chinese people. There was also a Nazi. Um, who uh, was part of the Nazi party. He stayed in Nanking and did a lot of refugee work. And then he went back to Germany and tried to tell Hitler about what was going on. And of course, Hitler didn't care. And that guy, I forget his name, Rabe, I think, um, he became like a political outcast. (laughs) Anyway, extremely important book. Uh, Everybody needs to read it. It's very hard to read. The descriptions of the cruelty, savagery that happened to the Chinese people in the city are uh, unbelievable. And don't read it if you don't. If you don't think you can handle that, uh, hearing about it, because it's pretty pretty unbelievable. Uh, next book is Capitalist Realism by Mark Fisher. This is a leftist author who uh, unfortunately committed suicide, I think, recently. Um, short book. I didn't like this book. It's a polemic against, um, you know, Western capitalism, which is fine. I, I, I love reading critiques about Western capitalism or what is perceived as capitalism. But this guy is just like an old cranky. He just sound it's, it's he sounds like a old cranky. Imagine like talking with an old cranky conservative guy talking about how kids these days and oh it's all the the it's all the Democrats' fault. Blah blah blah. That's what this book is, but it's a leftist doing it. <laughs> it's not. A, I I did not like this book. I I think the guy has a a couple other books that are better, but I didn't I didn't enjoy the book. I don't think it. He's very smart. He was obviously a very very smart man, um, but very bitter, very cynical, and very angry. And I did not enjoy the book. Um, next book is, uh, <clears throat> I read these two back to back, which was not a good idea. <laughs> I mean, or it was a good idea, but, uh, so I read Cobalt Red, How the Blood of Congo Powers Our Lives by Siddharth Kara, K-A-R-A. Probably one of, probably one of the most important books I read last year. And it's about the cobalt mines across Congo that are dug by, quote, artisanal miners, which is a quaint way of saying basically slave labor, child labor. Um, it's a bunch of free quote freelance um, people that ha- really have no option. They just go into the the cobalt mines and they earn about a dollar, two dollars a day. And then a bunch of Chinese firms own the mines. They sell them to them, and then the basically the world supply, Apple, all the tech companies. Eventually, the cobalt is funneled into these to make rechargeable batteries. So your rechargeable battery on the device you're listening on right now is very, very likely uh, produced from these cobalt mines from what is essentially modern day slave labor. That's kind of the reality. That this book was published in 2023. This is current. What's going on right now? Um, so it's a very important read. It's very important to be aware of. Um, and probably there's more to do about it. <clears throat> but anyway, you got to you know you got to start somewhere. Um, I read that book and then I followed it with King Leopold's Ghost by Adam Hochschild, which is a couple written a couple of decades ago. This is about King Leopold II, the Belgian king who exploited Congo uh, at the end of the 1800s and through the 1900s for their slave labor. Um, for their ivory trade, for rubber trade, and just exploited the people. So those two books back-to-back, I read those. I almost read Heart of Darkness <laughs> by Joseph Conrad as well to kind of like cap off, but I was like, I can't handle any more of this <clears throat> atrocity. Um, anyway, I do recommend those two books, like highly, highly recommend. Uh, next on Fiction Read is The Big Short by Michael Lewis. I, I'm surprised I haven't, I had never read this book. I saw the movie, right? This is about the 2008 financial crisis. Probably one of the better books written about this. And I've read books about the 2008 financial crisis to, you know, trying to understand it, which everybody needs to understand it. Um, very, very engaging. Michael Lewis is a, a phenomenal writer. Very, very engaging book. Um, and, you know, quite easy to follow. You got you to gotta be familiar with some of the terms like mortgage-backed securities and credit default swaps. But basically, the short end, you know, boiling it down, if you want to boil it down just a few sentences, why the 2008 financial crisis happened. You had too much liquidity in the, in with interest rates being way too low that were flooding the flooding markets with way too much liquidity caused by Alan Greenspan, who was the Fed, who was the chair of the Fed. And then you have Standards and Poor's, Moody and Poor's, who uh, started to give way too good ratings to terrible, terrible uh, loans that were made, more, uh, that were put into mortgage-backed securities. So they were subprime loans 
given uh, mortgage loans given to a bunch of people who should not have had they were not prepared for for uh, to have a mortgage to have a home they did not have enough stability in their financial lives they were given these loans they were they were sold as triple a hey these are great loans these were then put into mortgage-backed securities which which um, propped up all of the financial market um, and then uh, a bunch of and then this book it's called the big short right so it's people betting against it there's a couple of people that figured out, hey, uh, these subprime loans are going to default in like two or three years because these people are not. Once the uh, initial interest rates uh, start ballooning, going up, the whole thing is going to fall down. So they, what a bunch of people did, <clears throat> a couple of people did, they saw this. They invested in credit default swaps, which are basically if it's basically insurance on an investment, not an investment. It's basically, let's say you don't own a house. Let's say, let's say a, f- a house is on fire. And the house next to it is not on fire. And you don't even own the house. You take out fire insurance. You, you take a bet. You say, hey, I bet that house next to it is going to burst into flames. And then someone sell, someone takes that bet. That's what credit credit default swaps are. And so and uh, a couple of very shrewd people um, took that bet and they made a bunch of money when the, when the market fell apart. Anyway, very important book to read. I think you should read it. Um, next book is Socialism, Utopian, and Scientific by Friedrich Engels, right? This is the guy who basically, Friedrich Engels and, and Karl Marx developed socialism and commun- communist theory. Um, this is one of the, this is a brief read. It's a good read. If you're not familiar with socialist theory and stuff, it's it's a good read. It's a book. I, I enjoyed it. Um, I, I enjoy Marx and Engels' critique on capitalism because I still think it's relevant today. I think a lot of their theory, and I'm no expert on like Marxism by any means, but I, I find when I read Marx, Marxist and Engels texts, a lot of their stuff is outdated. Um, implementation of communism and socialism is, is like completely impractical and has been a historic disaster when people have tried to do it. Um, and here's my problem with this book and, and socialism in general uh, as put forward by Engels and Marx. They act like, so if you're not familiar, dialect, uh, 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 material dialectics is this, it's this concept that like there's a push and a pull and a yin and a yang of human society and that they sharpen it sharpens itself against one another and you produce change through that i don't know it's kind of vague i'm not i'm not gonna sit here and act like i know what dialectics is even though i've like read a bunch of books about it it's still a very vague thing here's my point people take uh these socialist concepts concepts like like dialectics and they act like it's this it's a um solid physical science and then it's like, oh, it's it will happen. You know, you will have socialism. You will have a withering of the state. Like it's a foregone conclusion that it's a natural state in evolution, uh, human society evolution, and that socialism will happen. That's what they act. So Engels thinks that socialism has the rigors of other physical sciences and acts like it, which is not true at all. This is, it's, this is philosophy. This is economic philosophy. And a lot of people today, I'll, I'll sometimes I'll get in arguments with people online with you know socialists and communists that. They act like they're like they're, they're like acolytes. They're like they're, they're, it's seriously like a it's sometimes it's kind of like a religion for some people. And you try to ask them to explain like how do you implement this? What you know what is socialism? And they they cannot come with solid answers. And then they accuse you of being like oh you're ideologically entrenched or you're right wing. It's like what? No, I'm just trying to understand this. Anyway, whatever. <clears throat> I would read that though. It's a short book. If you're not if you haven't read any Marxist texts, uh, read that one. Uh, next one is Killers of the Flower Moon, which I'm by David Grand. I'm, which you probably heard of. It's uh, the movie came out, Martin Scorsese, Leonardo DiCaprio film, which I just actually just watched. It took me about two weeks to watch. That's how long it takes me to watch a movie because I have a child and a busy job. <laughs> so I watched in like 20 minute intervals. The movie was obviously amazing. I watch anything with Leo. He's, uh, I think, best actor of our generation. Kills of the Flower Moon is an amazing book. It's about the Osage Native Americans who were given a little spot of land in Oklahoma to appease them. It turns out there's a bunch of oil on that land and they became, uh, at the time, the, the richest people per capita on the planet because of the oil. And then this book is about a bunch of white guys conspiring and murdering dozens and dozens of them to try to get the head rights, uh, the the inheritance rights to the, to the money. Fantastic book, phenomenal movie. Got to read it. Uh, let's see what other... Uh, I'm almost done with nonfiction for the year. Uh, and then I'll get to fiction. How to Know a Person by David Brooks. I honestly, I didn't know really know who David Brooks was. I guess he's a conservative um, commentator for like the New York Times or something. Uh, I, I didn't really, I don't really follow <coughs> people like that. So uh, I read this book and it was, it was great. It was great. Uh, lots of people are like, oh, you shouldn't read a conservative writer. Like, no, I read 
whoever, for one thing I read whoever I want and I read people across the political spectrum. This is a phenomenal book. I, I loved it. It's a lovely book. It's about how to talk to people, how to connect with people, um, how to get to know them, how to really listen to them and actually, and actually have interest in them. I really, really enjoyed this book a lot. I think it made me a better conversationalist, but on top of that, it made me more interested in people around me. And not not just strangers, but people that are you know close to you. I, I really really liked this book, and I think you should read it even if you have bias against David Brooks. It's it's a good book. It's how to know a person. Um, okay, just a couple more. American Midnight by Adam Hochschild. He's the same guy who wrote King Leopold's Ghost, the book I just told um, talked to you about. This was one of my favorite book reads of the year. American Midnight. This is about a five year sliver of time in American history, like 1917 through 1925. It's about Woodrow Wilson. And um, this this sliver of American history was absolutely insane. Um, about delving into World War One, uh, the anti leftists, the 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 flagrant right uh, violation of uh, freedom of speech was unbelievable. People went to jail. The Sedition Act and the Espionage Act were passed during this time simply to jail people that were against going to the war in World War One. And bunch of, a bunch of people went to prison for like ten years just for saying, "Hey, I don't think we should have the draft." And they just went to jail. It was unbelievable. It was an incredible fascist time during American history. Um, highly recommend this. You definitely need to read this book. Um, okay, three more nonfiction books, and then I'll get to fiction. Number Go Up by Zeke Fau, F-A-U-X, which seems like a pen name to me. This is about cryptocurrency. Um, very good book, journalistic take. This is the book to read instead of Michael Lewis. Michael Lewis published a book called Going Infinite last year, which got a lot of criticism. I don't. I think he kind of got fooled by Sam Bankman-Fried, the guy who... Um, is going to jail for basically a Ponzi scheme. Um, you know, the uh, the cryptocurrency wonderkin who's now very likely going to prison. He's, I think he's going to get convicted in a few months. <clears throat> this book is about cryptocurrency, about its rise and its fall. And, you know, it's kind of its current state. It talks about NFTs. It talks about the speculative markets of cryptocurrency. And this guy goes all over the world investigating cryptocurrency. So very, very good book. If you don't know anything about cryptocurrency, it's a great place to start. I'm, again, I'm no expert on cryptocurrency. Next book is The Rigor of Angels by uh, William Eggington. This is about Borges, Heisenberg, Kant, and the ultimate nature of reality. This is a philosophical book. It's about quantum mechanics, but not really. It's about how we don't really understand reality, trying to harmonize what we don't understand about quantum mechanics, the nature of when you look at the small microscopic world beyond microscopic. Reality doesn't really make sense and how to harmonize it with what we understand of the macroscopic world. And he tells it through the eyes of these of Borges, an Argentinian writer, Heisenberg, obviously, who developed quantum theory, and then Kant, um, philosopher. A very, very interesting read. I really enjoyed it. I don't say it. I'm not going to claim I understood everything about it, but I really, really liked it. And then the last uh, nonfiction read is A Fever in the Heartland by Timothy Egan. Uh, this is about the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, this is like in the 1920s, the rise, the second rise of the Ku Klux Klan, and how it absolutely dominated American politics. Not in the south, not only in the South, but majorly in the North. There was a, this is this, the story centers around D.C. Stevenson, who is the Grand Wizard or whatever of the Northern tribe of these idiots, and they basically, I, the the Ku Klux Klan was a political party. It took over state and national elections. It won many elections. It had its fingers everywhere. There were some. It was everywhere. Ohio, Indiana every northern state tons of communities like half the men were part of the Ku Klux Klan and its white supremacist goals and they were they were the, the Ku Klux Klan was the Nazi party of of America and they failed in what Nazis succeeded in doing they tried to do what the Nazi party did uh, while the Nazi party was doing it at the exact same time in, in the Weimar Republic Nazi party succeeded for some reason the, the KKK failed but they are, uh, the KKK was the Nazi party and continues to be a, the you know a, essentially a Nazi party of the United States um, anyway, that is that sums up for the fiction, my nonfiction reads of 2023. Um, so there you have it. I'm going to go on my fiction reads, so you can jump off if you don't care. It's mostly sci-fi and fantasy. <laughs> like, basically every book is sci-fi or fantasy. It's all I read for my fiction, uh, essentially. Um, so I'll go, I'll jump into those books. So you can hop off this podcast if you don't care about sci-fi or uh, fantasy. But here we go, I'll dive in. All right, let's get into fiction reads. So let's see, where did I start last year? <clears throat> the first fiction read I read last year was uh, Babel, Babel, I forget how to say it, by R.F. Kuang. I think I've talked about it in this podcast. Um, so this writer, she wrote uh, the Poppy War series, which was phenomenal, which I read a couple years ago, which was like a historical retelling of the rise of Mao, which is so good. It's very brutal, really, really hard read. Um, it actually has a kind of retelling of the raping of Nanking in that book. Um 
But this book is about, this was a speculative fiction, kind of historical fiction about a linguist uh, from China who's basically linguistic skills are exploited for this kind of fantastical magic system with silver bars and translating. Um, it, has a, it has a ton of social commentary about uh, subjugation of, exploitation of, it's about colonialism, exploitation of immigrants and, uh, you know, what to do about it. I, I thought the book was overall very well. It was really heavy-handed. It was extremely contrived. I, honestly, I think the author kind of insults the reader's intelligence because it's so heavy-handed. There's a dichotomy between, like, rebellion or incremental liberalism. So it was good. I just thought it was a little contrived. I, I think I gave it three, three stars. Um, okay, next one is The Fall of Babel by Josiah Bancroft. This is the fourth. I, this was, I finished the series off. It's the fourth of the books of ba Babel or something, which have nothing to do with the other book I just told you about. The first book in the series is called Sentinel and Ascends. This guy was an indie author, and I think he hit it big. He like won a, I think Mark Lawrence's contest, I think, and he uh, and finished the series like two two years ago. It was amazing. It's such a great series. It's speculative fiction. It's kind of like a 1920s vibe, um, like world building. But the there's still there's a Tower of Babel, and a and a, a man and his wife go to vacation there, and he loses his wife, and it's this crazy crazy adventure. Really really good writing. Josiah uh, Josiah Bancroft is like a, such a wordsmith. Every sentence is like a work of art. Really, really unique series. I've, you've never read anything like it. I loved it. I loved it. I suggest you start with the first book, Sentinel and Ascends. Really, really cool book and series. So I finished it, and I loved it. Uh, what's the next one? Oh, yeah. Another series I finished was Fonda Lee's uh, Greenbone Saga. Uh, the, uh, so it's Jade City, Jade War, and then Jade Legacy. This is urban fan asian fantasy <clears throat> which uh i don't read a lot of urban fantasy this is the best urban fantasy book i've ever read you've probably if you're in the fantasy world you've heard of this series and i'll tell you what it is absolutely amazing the story the it's about a mob family and then there's this kind of magic system they put jade stones in their body the there's so much political intrigue and mob intrigue and geopolitics in the book and the writing is so good and the characters are amazing by fonda lee seriously read the series <laughs> so awesome um, another book I read was called New Yesterday by Fred Armitage. He's an indie writer I follow on Twitter who I'm friendly with. Uh, he's a re reviewer as well, and he's read some of my books and gave, has given me some favorable reviews for because I'm an author. I write, I write uh, sci-fi books. Um, New Yesterday was kind of like a twist. It was kind of like a mix between Vanilla Sky and like like Blake Crouch's uh, Dark Matter book. Uh, it was it was interesting. I uh I, I did enjoy it. I thought some of the characters were like a little dry and it got a little boring throughout, but uh, I, I thought for, for an indie read uh, particularly, I thought it was good. Um, another book series I finished was Robin Hobbs. Um, the, for her first was it, is, uh, the Ro Royal Assassin, uh, what, Royal, uh, I forget Assassin's Apprentice and then Royal Assassin and then Assassin's Quest. The first, it's the first trilogy in her big world. And it's my first, I, it's unbelievable I haven't read Robin Hobb, but it's my first for, foray or whatever into Robin Hobb. She's incredible. She's absolutely amazing. I cannot wait to read more. I, if you have not read Robin Hobb yet, jump into it. Start this first series. The first, one's, first one is, um, uh, well, I already said it, but I forgot the name. Ro uh, Assassin's Apprentice by Robin Hobb. The first trilogy is, it's just, it's some of the best fantasy you will, you will read by uh, robin hobb check her out another series i finished this year was octavia butler's um pattern master series it's a four book series uh, the books are fairly short the first one is uh, wild seed and then mind of my mind and then clay's arc and then the last one was pattern master really unique sci-fi read it's all about domination and subjugation and eugenics it takes place across hundreds of years and it's it's honestly it's all it's so much about patriarchy and the domination of men over women um it's so interesting this like oh it has demigods in it it takes place in the it begins in the 1700s book two it takes place in like the 1980s about how a group of uh mostly uh black people this this group they've been conditioned by a demigod to to be able to have tele telepathy and they create this society that then takes over the world in the next 100 years in the next book it's incredible it's awesome it's not like enjoyable because it's so brutal uh, but she's an amazing writer and she, she famously wrote, uh, Kindred, which I haven't read yet actually, but uh, I love, I, I really enjoyed the series. It's not like escapism. It's, it's brutal to read. Uh, but anyway, another series I finished was Adrian Tchaikovsky's children. So children of time, which you may have heard of, and then children of ruin and then children of memory. What I, that's what I read. The, I finished that this year, which came out in 2023. 
so good. Children of Time was really good. It's about, it's like a, oh man, there's too much to explain. <laughs> um, it's like in the far future and a bunch of people, uh, Earth has been destroyed and they and they show up on a planet that's that's been taken over by sentient arachnoid aliens. It's so cool. That's Children of Time. The third book I read, I finished, which was Children of Memory, is one of the best sci-fi books I've ever read. It, it is, as I finished reading it, it's so cool. <laughs> I can't, I don't even want to give it away, but there's so much commentary about consciousness and stuff. It's so amazing. If you haven't read Adrian Tchaikovsky, you should. He's he's a current modern day sci-fi writer, and he's up there. He's 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 definitely making a name for himself. He's awesome, and I follow him on Twitter. I'm friendly with him. He's he's a cool guy too. Uh, I'm also in the middle of reading, um, the dark tower by Stephen King. Um, I read a lot of Stephen King when I was younger, like the stand and the green mile and stuff like that, but I never read the dark tower series. So I started it. I'm still in the middle of it, but the last year I read the wastelands and the next one, uh, uh, glass, glass and what is it called? Wizard and glass or something. I mean, absolutely incredible. It is a wild series. I, I have moments where I like, don't like it. Like in the first half of Wastelands, I was like, what is this? But then I loved how that ended, and then I loved Wizard and Glass. And then I also read, I finished um, uh, The Wolves of Kala last year, which was a slog. But I really like the characters. I really enjoy it. And then so this year, I will finish it. The last two remaining books are Songs of Susanna, which is on my desk. I'm going to finish it. I'm going to get to that probably next week. And then I'll read The Dark Tower, the last one. Anyway, wild series. Not for everybody, but you got to read the first couple books, I think, to see if you're into it. Oh, okay, so many books. Uh, oh, man, I have a lot to say. Uh, I probably don't have too much longer here. Maybe 10 more minutes. <laughs> okay. Um, I, another indie reader I've gotten into is Daniel T. Jackson. His first book is um, uh, Illborn. And then I read A Dual Sin this year. It's two books. He has a third one coming out. I'm friendly with him on Twitter as well. He's a nice guy. Um, it's kind of like, uh, it's not like, um, it's like, there's nothing like super special about it. But it's like a fantasy um, uh, Victorian era with a magic system, and it follows these four POVs of young young people. It's got it's got some sexist tropes in it, uh, but I, I really enjoyed it, and I'm, I'm looking forward to his third release. Okay, I finished Steven Erickson's book of uh, Mala's and Book of the Fallen. I finished it. I finally finished. I, I've I've taken my time. It's a huge series if you're not familiar with it. It's ten books, and then there's tons of spinoff series. Each each book is like a thousand pages. Um, or 1,200 pages. And I've taken my time with it. I've, I've read it these 10 books over like five years. And I finished the last book, The Crippled God. And I got to say I'm disappointed with the series. <laughs> I, I I just got I, I got really disappointed with it. it. You've never read anything like Steven Erickson. Erickson. His, uh, his prose is like incredible. And the world building and this world he creates, this fantasy world. And the epic characters. It's so incredible. The problem is it never ends. His, he never gives any exposition for what's going on. And it's just, he opens up another continent with more characters and more kingdoms. It's too much. And he doesn't resolve things. There's so many things left hanging in the air. And so many characters you never hear from again. It's just too much. He just did too much. He should have, the whole thing should be abridged. I was overall, I'm glad I read it. I thought it was amazing by the most part. But as I finished it, the last book, The Cripple God, I was I was seriously disappointed by the series. And I'm kind of like, ugh, I kind of hate thinking about it because I, so, I was so disappointed by the series. A lot of diehard fans out there, I'm sure, would disagree with me. But anyway, another ser- book series I read is also by Adrian Tchaikovsky, which I forgot to mention. He also re- fin- he recently wrote a trilogy. Um, the, first, uh, the last book is called Lords of, of Uncreation. It's called The Final Architecture, the series. It's a trilogy. So good. It's amazing. It's like a space opera. Oh, it's so good. Go pick it up. It's amazing. I loved it. Again, Adrian Tchaikovsky is like, so uh, he's such a good guy. He's such a, such a good writer, such a creative sci-fi writer. Um, okay. What else do I have to say? Okay. I already talked about, oh yeah. Brandon Sanderson's, um, secret novels. I read a couple of those this year. Let's, let's talk about those. So I read, uh, I only read two of the secret novels. I read, t- uh, Tress, Tress. Yeah. And the, uh, what is it called? Tress. I forget. Tress. And it was, which was pretty good. Um, you have to be kind of familiar with the Cosmere, Brandon Sanderson's other novels to like it. It was a little, it wasn't quite YA. I, I'm not a big fan of YA books, but I did enjoy it. The world was really, really cool. The characters were okay. I thought it was all right. It, it was a pretty good book. I thought the much better book was Yumi and the Nightmare Painter. I loved it. I absolutely loved Yumi and the Nightmare Painter, one of Brandon Sanderson's other secret books. 
It was really, really cool. An amazing world. Really cool characters. The romance was actually, there's romance in it, which was actually really well done. Um, I don't think Brandon Sanderson's strength is, is typically his romance. Anyway, I thought it was amazing. I absolutely loved it. Um, I didn't read the frugal wizard or whatever. I think it looks stupid. I'm not going to read it. It looks dumb. Um, San- Sanderson, tr- sometimes he tries to do humor and it's not good. <laughs> he's not funny. It's not, I love him. I love, I love the guy. I think he's a good guy and I love his books, but he's not funny. <laughs> um, and then the other one is the sunlit man, which is on my desk. I'm going to read it this year. Those are the Brandon Sanderson secret novels. If you're familiar, I read legends of legends and latte by uh, Travis Baldry. He was an indie writer who really hit it big with this. It's, you know, it's called cozy fantasy. Um, and, uh, he really, really got a huge success, wrote a, wrote a sequel to it. Um, got, picked up by a traditional publisher and all that and the success is well earned it's it's a great book it's short it's like 300 pages it's definitely cozy fantasy it's about an orc who opens up a coffee shop i did enjoy it um it kind of got the coziness kind of got a little boring you know because the the resolution and the conflicts weren't quite enough to keep me engaged so i was kind of like yeah you know i finished and i was like that's fine i'm not gonna read the sequel just because not that i didn't i I enjoyed the book but it's just it just kind of wasn't my thing. I have other things that I've in, that I'm interested in, but I definitely enjoyed it. Particularly if you're not really into fantasy, I would read it. Legends and Lattes. Um, another trilogy that I finished was by Anthony Ryan, who's one of my favorite fantasy writers. Uh, he wrote Blood Song, which is one of my favorite fantasy books ever. Uh, he wrote The Covenant of Steel, which is a uh, trilogy, and he finished the The Traitor, which is the third this year. It was phenomenal. So the first one's called The Pariah, the second one's called The Martyr, and the third one's called The Traitor. I loved it. I thought it was an amazing trilogy. Tons of art, just tons of great uh, like medieval fantasy and arcane history. He's an awesome guy, too. I follow him on Twitter. Me and him are friendly with one another. Um, sometimes he even promotes my books, which I appreciate. He's a, re- he's a really good guy. I really, really like him a lot. Um, and, uh, anyway, I highly recommend that. Uh, I talked about foundation, right? Yeah, I read foundation. Um, I read Piranesi by Susanna Clark, which had been on my list for a long time. Uh, my brother-in-law had recommended it to me and I really enjoyed it. It's speculative fiction, uh, fantasy. You've never read anything like it. It's really, really cool. It's like, a someone wakes up in this lost kind of mythical world. They don't know. They don't really have their memory. They don't really know what happened. It's really cool. It's a short read. Highly recommend it. Uh, I, f- I read A Day of Fallen Night by Samantha Shannon, which is the prequel to The Priory of the Orange Tree. A Day of Fallen Night, one of the best fantasy books I've ever read, hands down. It's dense. It's hard to read. It's, it's, I think it rivals Game of Thrones. Um, it's an incredible rich world. Uh, the characterization is amazing. It has um, incredible uh, characters. I, oh, I just I cannot say it enough. It, I, these books are like 800 pages. It's a duology. They're like eight or 900 pages. They're dense. They're hard to get through the beginning. Like 30% through, you're kind of like, ugh. But when you pull through it, it, if you're looking for a dense, challenging fantasy read, read A Day of Fallen Night and Priory of the Orange Tree by Samantha Shannon. Um, what else do I got? Oh, I finished the, um, I, uh, what is it? Uh, the Sil- You know that Silo series on Apple TV, if you're familiar by Hugh Howie? The first one's called Wool. Um, <clears throat> so he was an indie writer who got lucky 10 years ago and got picked up. And it's a good trilogy. I'm not going to say it's not a good trilogy. The guy knows is was really good at storytelling. Um, I think it's highly overrated. I thought the delivery was very poor. Uh, he doesn't really deliver on the premise, and I thought it was really predictable and kind of boring. Um, and the characters are not very strong. Like, the auxiliary characters are not very strong, and it's kind of boring, and it kind of disappointed me. But uh, I loved the show, and I re- you, they're, they're good books. I think they're generally well-liked. I, I think you should read them if you're interested. Um, it's about an underground society, post-apocalyptic. And there's lots of mystery and amazing atmosphere. And the main character is really well done. The main character is really well done. Julia or Juliet. Um, so anyway, I, check them out. Uh, but uh, I thought they were a little, a little overrated. Uh, I forget. Did I mention that I was, I'm reading the Dark Tower series by Stephen King? I think I did. Um, uh, Wizard and Glass, which is like the fourth book in that, I think, or the fifth. One of the best. Fa- it's incredible. The, the Wizard and Glass is an absolutely amazing book. I kind of forgot how good, what, what a good writer. Um, uh uh, Stephen King is. He's absolutely amazing. Uh, okay, I'll, I'm just looking through my list here. Okay, I started a new series called The Grace of Kings by Ken Liu. It's like a four-book series. The books are, the, the series is long. I mean, they're like a thousand pages, I think. I'm going to read the second one soon. It's about the Han Dynasty. Uh, it's like a fictional retelling, fantasy retelling of the Han Dynasty in China, which I don't know a lot about, but I loved it. Oh, it was so good. The pacing was extreme, and it was kind of hard to get into, but I loved the first book, and I'm, and I'm going to get to the second book very soon and, and read it. Um, I think I'm almost done. Oh yeah, yeah, Wellness by Nathan Hill. This is a fiction book, not my typical fiction book because it's not sci-fi or fantasy. This is one of the best fiction books I've I've simply I've ever read. I think I talked about it on this podcast. 
it's it was published last year and it's about a married couple about their journey and it takes place in like 2014 it, it talks about when they met in the 1990s and then their journey of being married for you know 20 years and with a child and all the heart the difficulties of of our current day and age and the difficulties of marriage and the difficulties of having a family and it's and the two individuals elizabeth and jack are highly traumatized people that have a really really hard past um it was some beautiful beautiful writing absolutely incredible i highly of all the fiction books i've recommended read this wellness by nathan hill it's about 600 pages i listened listened to the audiobook and the performance was unbelievably good it was beautiful it's an incredible book incredible book um, <clears throat> I think uh, I think that kind of wraps it up. I read a couple other novellas by uh, Fonda Lee, Untethered Sky. She's the one who wrote the Green Bone Saga. Uh, it was good, but uh, if you don't, it doesn't really have anything to do with liking her other series. Um, <clears throat> I think that's it. I think that's it for my books. All right, there you go. That was about it's about seventy five books. <clears throat> Let me know uh, if you want to know anything else about these books. You can email me. Uh, thanks for listening if you actually listen to this whole thing. <clears throat> I don't know if anybody's going to make it to the end, but that's fine. Uh, email me at icudoctorecmo at gmail.com. Follow me on TikTok. It's icudoctor. Follow me on Instagram, icudoctortiktok. Message me. Sometimes I can respond. I can't always. I used to say I can respond to every email that people send me, but I, I just can't <clears throat> these days. But I do try. <clears throat> if you have specific questions, if you want me to do a podcast about a very specific question, email me, and I'll take a look and see if I, see what I can do about it. Thanks for listening. Um, <clears throat> share, sorry for clearing my throat so much. Share this podcast. If you enjoy it, leave a review if you enjoy it. I make no money off of it. There's no advertising. I make no money off of any of my social media stuff. This is a public service, and it's also something I enjoy, and I enjoy engaging with the community. So I appreciate it. Thanks. Bye.